Just a Taste. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. Joining us today is leading voice within the food service industry, Brett Thorne. Brett is currently Senior Food Editor for Nation's Restaurant News. He's responsible for reporting on culinary trends in food service. He joined Nation's Restaurant News in 1999 after spending five years as a journalist in Thailand, where he wrote business and food stories. His columns in NRN won the 2006 Jesse H. Neal National Business Journalism Award for Best Staff Written Editorial or Opinion Column. Brett, thanks for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. So before we begin, uh, if you could describe for our listeners what food service means, you know, we know that the term, you know, c- covers a lot, um, and I won't, I won't uh, offer the, the description here, but if you could just, just paint the picture of what the food service industry uh, is and, and kind of how it relates to, um, you know, just it, it, it works its way to individual consumers. Sure. I mean, food, food service, as we talk about it, generally means restaurants, but also related uh, businesses that feed people. So it includes hospitals and prisons and schools and corporate cafeterias and airports and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's sort of restaurants plus. Excellent. So you have, you know, food you purchase at retail, you have restaurants where um, <clears throat> the food is prepared for you, but food service, I suppose, answers the question of, well, how did that food arrive at the, at the restaurant, whether it's a Applebee's or a, or a, or a hospital uh, cafeteria. Right. And if you really want to play inside baseball, we distinguish between food service and food retail, which is to say supermarkets and convenience stores. But I think for the general world, it's all, you know, it's all getting out there and and buying food that you can eat. And of course, one of the big trends these days is supermarkets and convenience stores making more prepared food, which is kind of irritating the restaurants. But, you know. Well, well, let's go with that. Uh, So, so. You know, are we referring to situations where, uh, you know, uh, my family were pretty common to pick up a rotisserie chicken as some convenience on the way home. Um, And there's there's, you know, pre-prepared meals. Uh, What what are some of those uh, kind of grab and goes that you're seeing that are that are really blossoming? Well, certainly the the rotisserie chicken is is a. a huge boon for supermarkets. They've been doing it for quite a while, but now there are more and more uh, actual restaurants that are being set up in uh, in supermarkets. I mean, Whole Foods have right. entire food halls, basically, where you can have uh, ramen or sandwiches or grilled meats or whatever, and then you have sort of more specialized food emporiums like Italy that have full-blown restaurants along with all the retail. Really, it's kind of a continuation of what Cracker Barrel has always done, but in reverse. You know, you go to Cracker Barrel and you get your your uh, biscuits and gravy or whatever, but there's also plenty of retail food that you can buy too. So there's always been a bit of crossover, but really we're seeing uh, more and more prepared food of many sorts in supermarkets, and, and it's of good quality. Mm. So some people uh, are saying that we're kind of in this heyday of the restaurant industry. And, um, you know, I I have uh, read a few reports where people are asking themselves, okay, 
uh, retail o- overall is on the decline. Uh, J.C. Penney's, Macy's, malls, etc. Uh, yet the economy is, um, you know, d- doing well, doing strong, picking up steam, what have you. Uh, and the report stated how, well, if the economy is doing well but retail is struggling, uh, it's not all about Amazon. So where is the money going? And, and the report was was stating that. Uh, you know, people are spending their money to be with friends and engaging in experiences as opposed to just, quote, shopping, right? Just meandering through a mall, which, you know, frankly, I can remember my mom doing decades ago. She just went shopping. Um, so uh, it's, it's resulted in, in the boom in tourism, which I would say is probably quite related to the restaurant industry. When you're on the road, you eat. But restaurants popping up everywhere. And uh, we're here in San Diego. And I can tell you that I, I literally cannot keep up with the number of restaurants that are popping up right now. Um, so w- would you agree that we're kind of reaching this, this heyday or this, um, you know, just this extraordinary time for the restaurant industry? And then my follow-up to that is going to be, are we in a restaurant bubble, which I've heard as well? Well, I, I think the way that people are eating is shifting, which means even though, we're spending a lot of money on food and a lot of that money is going to food and restaurants. How people are spending the mood is different. And so to be a successful restaurant, you really have to respond to it. So it's here in, in the restaurant industry world, they're not feeling like it's a bubble, especially if they are some traditional chains, especially in what we call the casual dining category, which is to say, you know, full service restaurants like TGI Fridays and Olive Garden, where 15 years ago, you would go with your friends or your family and you'd order the food and it would come and the food would be fine and the experience would be okay. Uh, And that's not enough for people anymore. So they want restaurants that provide either more of an entertainment. So you have higher end places uh, that will provide better food, more creative drinks craft beer, creativity, or they just want to be fed. And so, excuse me, they're going to McDonald's and Burger King. And that that's more of a just feed me and let me get on with my life experience. So the restaurants in between, which are your traditional casual dining places and increasingly fast casual places like your, your Chipotle's, for example, are seeing traffic kind of decline or stagnate because it's not enough of a differentiation. So they're either going for cheap and convenient or they're going for a really fun night. Interesting. So I want, I want to kind of dive into these different segments a little bit. Uh, you mentioned fast casual and by that we're talking Chipotle, Panera, you know, various these, you know, design your own pizza shops. And all those little pokeball places, and every I, there seems to be a new fast casual concept opening every twenty minutes or so. There's a lot going on. Yeah, um, there, a pokeball uh, location just opened down from us, and I'm I'm happy to say we're we're keeping them in business. Um, but what about the the so-called high end? Um, you know, I think the changing dynamics of family, I have to think, are affecting high end where. Perhaps 20, 30 years ago, you, you know, you may take your family, which means children, out to dinner on rare occasions. Um, but, you know, dining, I think, I think was still a little bit reserved for, for the adults, right? Particularly high end 
Whereas now, and I, I, I believe, and this is just purely anecdotal from my friends and, and, and whatnot, is we're quite willing to take family or kids pretty much anywhere. And we're generally on the run going from A to B and, and it's just completely changed. So how, how are high-end restaurants doing? Because I know my wife reminds me we don't go to many enough and I don't take her on enough dates. But part of that is because we're, we're almost eating out all the time. Um, right. You know, so how's that, how's that segment doing? Well, fine dining restaurants have always been special occasion places. There aren't very many people who can afford to go there very often. Uh, and they're actually doing pretty well. Uh, although what we consider fine dining has changed. It used to be that those restaurants had to have white tablecloths. The food 20 years ago was almost always French, maybe occasionally Italian. Now you have a lot of high-end Japanese restaurants. You have restaurants that can be quite expensive and have excellent food and a remarkable experience, but you might be sitting on a bench while you're having 20 courses of food. Right. So, so really how we're approaching that kind of high-end experiential dining has changed. But the fine dining segment is doing reasonably well. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, it's, it's not struggling. You mentioned a few. A lot of are opening and closing. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of churn because there's a lot of people are now interested in the restaurant business. It's exciting. It didn't used to be a cool thing to be a chef. It used to be, you know, sort of an an hardworking. It's still a very difficult job, but now it's it's sexy. What 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 kind? What what kind of restaurants are struggling? And I'm not sure if I'm asking based on you know, a, a, a price point, a convenience point, or a, you know, a declining um, form of, of consumption or, or, or taste preferences changing, but uh, which ones are struggling right now? They're, they're sort of the middle of the road restaurants. The, the, as I said, the TGI Fridays or the, the Buffalo Wild Wings, where you're going to the restaurant for... Well, for kind of uh, an unclear reason, because it's not super convenient, it's not super cheap, it's not super delicious. So mm. why are you going? You know, it's, it, the restaurants that are good enough are kind of struggling, as opposed to the restaurants that really stand out. Mm. They're, kind of, they're kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. Um, so we, we obviously are, are, you know, very interested in, in taste and quality at Chef's Fest. Um, as best you can, can you share for me, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, of maybe the, the supply chain, if you will, um, where, you know, you have a restaurant and whether that's uh, a Chipotle or a um, design your own pizza or, or it might be, you know, high end, you know, Ruth's Chris style steak restaurant. Um, how does the supply chain work so that when I go in there and I order from the menu, that food is, is prepared for me? But how did that food get there? What was, what was kind of the thought process used by the chefs and, and, any, and anyone else along the chain uh, in order to decide that that steak or that kind of French fry or that pizza sauce is what I'm going to consume? Well, a lot of it has to do with the economics and availability of ingredients So and, and also consumer demand. So, for example, Ruth's Chris is going to uh, provide a lot of filet, 
because that's what customers are going to order, except in New York, where we're more likely to have a New York strip or a ribeye or in Chicago, where they have kind of similar taste. So part of it is a response to consumer demand, but they also have to make sure that whatever they're getting, they're going to make enough of a profit off of it. Um, and so where it comes from, often it's broadline distributors who, are, who have access to things from all over the country, but increasingly, even large chain restaurants are working to work with local suppliers, uh, whether that's local farmers or bakers or meat producers or craft beer uh, brewers to uh, bring things to their restaurants that have a compelling story and that might have some local color that are going to make those items appeal more to uh, their guests. I don't know if that answered your question. That does. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm still a little curious about the process. So, you know, there's times when you go and you eat a hamburger and you go, this is, this is just an incredible hamburger or wow. What amazing, you know, fish tacos. These are this fish is so fresh. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I come from a point of a little bit of ignorance here where there's a lot of food consumed and a lot of decisions. And if there's, I'm going to make this up, but I don't know, 200,000 hamburger restaurants in the country, there aren't 2000, how many different hamburgers are supplied to those 200,000? Do you know what I mean? Like there's not an individual different hamburger for each one yet along the decision process, they decide which one they want the chefs to. And, and then there's a, I think preparation that, that is different as well, but I'm, I'm just trying to grasp it. How on earth because this all happens behind the scenes, right? Yeah. Like we, we don't see it as consumers, how that decision process goes down where if a place down the street <clears throat> decides to sell hamburgers, how do they choose from the, I don't know, thousands of potential food service hamburgers that are out there? Well, generally their suppliers will provide them different samples of ground beef. And, and of course, ground beef is usually it can come from different parts of the animal, it can come from different animals. Uh, so for any of that, often they rely on their suppliers to find, uh, or, or their suppliers or their distributors to find uh, the product that best suits them in terms of quality and price. So there are more and more burger places, just to stick with that example, that are having their blends custom designed for them, which you know gives them a point of distinction. Shake Shack, uh, for example. Okay, I could I could see that. But um, it's, it's a complex question you ask, and and one that I don't know if anyone fully understands our distribution system. I think even distributors, you know, tend to have an expertise in in particular types of distribution. We have a very complex food system um, that it could be really difficult to wrap your head around. Perhaps we've stumbled across your next column idea. Ooh. <laughs> that, that would be a, a PhD dissertation, actually. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's break out the crystal ball a little bit. Uh, we, we know that the American palate is becoming more sophisticated. Uh, I think it, from what I've heard, it's attributed to, you know, a little less homogenous society, but people are traveling more. People are growing up in one part of the country, moving to another part of the country. Um, 
kind of spreading, spreading taste, if you will. Um, and I think that's very reflected in, in the options in restaurants right now and the types of restaurants that are opening. Um, so one question is, would you, would you agree with that? And uh, what other trends do you kind of foresee in 2018? No, I don't know what the cause is of our increased fascination with food because we've always been a really diverse society. I, I mean, I think it's possible that a wider variety of voices are being heard. But I think part of it is just that we reached maybe 10 years ago a critical mass of people with increased interest in what they were eating and where the food was coming from. I mean, if you're used to having kind of a meat and potatoes diet and you're satisfied with it, you might not be interested in changing. But once you try different kinds of food, why would you decide, never mind, I'm just going to go back to having meatloaf every day again. So I, I think, you know, once you've, we've, you've opened that Pandora's box of variety, it's hard to, to close that box again. So, you know, once we've tried something new, we keep trying new things. And so in 2018, I think we're going to see a continued expansion of new things. One, one trend I predicted for this year is wine from the Republic of Georgia, because you know, we've had the Western European wines and we've had the South American wines. And uh, a lot of the wine experts are trying to find something new. And one region that's particularly popped up is Georgia, which has a compelling story, which is important, especially when you're selling beverages, uh, because they've been producing wine for a couple of thousand years. They're kind of exotic and their wine tastes good. And I think we're going to be seeing more of a, um, that kind of variety in the food we're seeing. We're probably also going to see um, possibly more West African food, because that's an area we haven't explored a whole lot of yet. Um, we're going to dive deeper into Asian cuisines we're familiar with, like regional Chinese, and go more in-depth in Southeast Asian food, whether that... A lot of people talk about uh, an increase in Filipino food. I think we actually might see Indonesian food pop too. Uh, but it's going to be just a continuing expansion of the boundaries of what we're willing to try. Mm. And I've been surprised at how many more insects I'm seeing on menus than I used to, which I never thought I'd say. <laughs> Not that, surprised, that we're seeing more insects. You know, at, at Safeco Field, where the Seattle Mariners play, they can't keep grasshoppers in stock because people just love eating these fried grasshoppers that they sell. Wow. I don't want to eat fried grasshoppers. <laughs> Not regularly. I mean, I try it because, you know, I'm supposed to be a cool food guy, so I'll try whatever, but. <laughs> you know, I, I think I definitely have a, a bias against eating insects. Just I think it's the, my brain, even though I know that it's a perfectly fine, safe thing to eat, I still have a non-rational brain that says that stuff is not for eating. But we're doing it. I think I'll keep an eye out for the, the wines from the Republic of Georgia. Uh, and stay away from the grasshopper? I know in San Diego you've been able to get Chapulini tacos forever. That's the little grasshoppers. 
I've managed to avoid those places, but I'll, I'll have my eyes, <laughs> my eyes open. But since you've gone there, uh, you have, I assume, eaten at, I'm going to go with thousands of restaurants. So what's the most exotic food that you've eaten? Ever? Yep. So there's this fermented shark they have in Iceland that they take the shark and they bury it in the surf I think for six weeks, I forget. And then they hang it out to kind of putrefy. And it tastes like someone peed on it. And it's, it's terrible. So that's, that's one of the worst things. I had fermented shrimp ganglia in Japan. I mean, they called it shrimp brains, but shrimp don't really have brains. So it was ganglia and they just served, served a little bit on a sort of a lozenge of sushi rice. That... That was challenging. Um, I've actually eaten dog a couple of times. And, and I don't know if I should admit that. I, I think we'll skip the definition of that for the sake of our, our listeners. Um, what, what could you share? I, I just want to pick your brain a little more because of vast experience here. What what restaurants really have stood out for you over the years as just a unique? incredible experience. I mean, we, we've all heard of, you know, Chez Panini and all these, but what, in the French laundry, but what, you know, what, what really stands out in your mind uh, that, that is perhaps still accessible for people, but is not, you know, on that, and you know, that usual top five list. I'm thinking. I mean, often the places that are really, a delight and a surprise are the little holes in the wall in little ethnic neighborhoods where you just get an awesome bowl of noodles that costs you six dollars. Mm. And you know, there there are some of those in every community. I mean, we we like to talk about New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago as being great restaurant cities, but really now every city has an awesome restaurant scene. And I'm trying to think of some places that have really just stood out. You know, my favorite way to eat is really kind of basic and dirty. I mean, I don't think anything is more fun than going to a uh, Chesapeake Bay style crab boil where you just get a whole lot of blue crabs that were boiled with Old Bay seasoning and you just sit at a table covered with newspapers and maybe a wooden mallet, and you go to town and just rip it. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's a fun way to eat. Anything that's just kind of straightforward and visceral, and using great ingredients and not doing much to them, is my favorite way to eat. I would concur on that. And I mean, in San Diego, you guys are famous for all your taco stands and trucks and stuff. That we are. Yes, Which we are. Probably yeah. the funnest way to eat in San Diego. With all due respect to your awesome restaurant operators, you know. <laughs> well, it, it, it definitely, you know, when folks visit, they ask, you know, what should I get? What should I get? Um, you know, I grew up in Boston, so, you know, you start talking about, you know, the different seafoods and, and stuff. Um, you know, pizza is regional, and I just, I tell people fish tacos. Uh, yeah. they're, uh, uniquely uniquely um, special here. <clears throat> yeah, and in Boston, I mean... The seafood is so good, almost anywhere you go. But and you know, it's just fun to eat some fried clams. It's my uh, 
it's pretty much guaranteed I, I hit up the Ipswich clam box whenever I, I visit the Boston area. Well, excellent, Brett. You're a absolute wealth of information. Um, and I want to encourage our listeners to, to follow you. I think that there's a few places that I'll mention and let me know if I'm forgetting any. You're on Twitter at Food Writer Diary. So that's at Food Writer Diary. And that's presented as obviously as one word on Twitter. And then your columns are, are very regular uh, on nrn.com, which is, of course, Nation's Restaurant News. Uh, quite prolific in the amount of, of content that you produce there. Uh, is there anywhere else that folks should be looking for you? I think that's about it. I mean, you can follow me on Instagram, still the same handle, Food Writer Diary. I post some pictures sometimes. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, shedding light on some of the trends that uh, we can expect in 2018 and really validating, you know, um, some of the, the trends that, you know, some of us are sensing that are out there. But um, so thank you for joining us, Brett. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on Just a Taste, a Chef's Best Production. Join us again next time as we talk to more experts in marketing, retail, and production in the food and beverage industry. You can always visit us at chefsbest.com to learn more. 